Well, following is different than believing, right? That's what we've been talking about with this sermon series. Following is absolutely different than believing. And the invitation that has been given by Jesus so often in Scripture is follow me. It's not just believe in me. Of course, you're not going to follow something you don't believe in, right? But it's follow me. And the question for us to wrestle with is do we choose to follow Jesus or will we choose to follow our own path? That's, that's really the question for us. Do I follow Jesus or do I follow my own path? And I think sometimes we think of that in this big picture type way, and we should. But also we should think of it in the individual, the little things of life because the decisions on following Jesus, honestly, they don't happen all the time in the large scale. Sometimes they happen in the details and the, and the small scale. And to be honest, we live in a culture, in today's culture, where laying down your rights to follow someone else seems odd to others, right? Because all these political messages are trying to pull our heartstrings and right, oh, we got rights here, we believe this, or we, but you know, and, and so it, it seems different when somebody chooses to say, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose to lay the things that I would maybe choose or I would do differently aside. I'm going to lay these down. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. That's, we should understand that there are some people who are going to look at us and think that's a little odd to do things that way. So the question is, why talk to you about the fact that Jesus came? And I can give you the biblical answer, right? I mean, I can talk to you about the fact that Jesus came. Now remember this, Jesus came so that we could have life. He did not come so that we can die and go to heaven. He came so that we can live, not so that we can die. And so he came so that we can have life and have it at its best. And for some people, when we talk about it that way, it, it almost sounds simplistic to follow Jesus. Now, yes, we have life, death illustrations all through Scripture that we die to our old self. We put the, the things of the past to death. But, but Jesus' purpose in coming was to give us life, not just for us to trudge through this life and end up sliding into heaven one day. It's so that we could experience life to its fullness. And so let me ask you this question. When you think about life, think about this. Ask yourself this question, who has made me better? Who's made me better? You ever thought about that? Have you stopped along the way and, and thought about how honestly I think that everybody in this place can say there's no way that I'm the person I am today without, and you can fill in the blank probably more than one time. You can probably look at several people in your life that you go, you know, this person's made me better. This person's done something in my life. And I had to look at that. And the, and the truth for me, just quite honestly, the truth for me is that most people that I spend time with make me a better person. Just, let's just stop and think. Yeah, I have a few people that I hold in high regard that had incredible influence on my life. But when I actually stop to think about it, I begin to understand that God has put us here to be with one another because most of the time when I spend time with one another, it makes me a better person. Whether it means that I'm around someone that they teach me something or they help me out with a project or something. Maybe it's someone that just encourages me. And you know what? guess what? Even when I'm around people that challenge me in different ways, it makes me a better person. And so God's put us here 
to live this life to its fullness by following Jesus Christ. But we don't have to do that on our own. We do that with one another. And by doing that with one another, it makes us better. But the difficulties we tend to have in this life are not with following Jesus. It's with that one another part, right? Okay, see, there's three of you who are awake still in this thing and, and get that. But that's the truth. If, if we just talked about, hey, as a Christian, I just want to follow Jesus, that sounds great to everybody and nobody's going to argue with that. But then when we start getting into the details of it, of how we actually follow and what it means and how we interact with other people and how we spend our time and how we spend our resources, then we start going, well, I'm not so sure about all this following stuff. And so we want to look today at how we can follow better under the context of unity what it means to to be around other people and to follow Jesus in unison because the truth is like I said most of the people that I spend my time with make me a better person in some way and when you think about it in the context of when Jesus was asked to boil all this down and tell me what the most important thing is he said love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength which we tend not to have a problem with as believers and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's where it gets difficult. And let's just be honest. It's where it gets difficult. Because there's difficult people in the world and I am one of them. Because if you think that there's only difficult people in the world and you're not one of them. I'll just tell you a little secret. You are to someone. Okay. So we need to understand how we get along with one another. How we move this forward. And so when we follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we need to understand that he's always leading us to his glory and our fulfillment. That's where he leads. Everything that he leads us to do will bring his, him glory, but in the process it will also bring us great fulfillment. That's why it's so awesome to follow Jesus. Every truth, every truth that God gives us to follow him leads us to a full life. And that's what we're pursuing, okay? So if you're wondering, well, why, why should I follow Jesus? It's because when we follow Jesus, life is at its fullest. Life is at its best. Even when it might not make sense to us. That's where the faith comes in. That's where we say, okay, God, I, I sent you t teaching me and leading me over in this direction where I'm going to follow. And I'm struggling with how I'm supposed to do that. And we need to trust that if God's leading us that way, then it's going to be what's best. So... When we look at others and we understand how they make us a better person and we sometimes see some of these people in our life who follow, you know you've seen one, they follow Jesus so closely that it kind of scares you. You ever been around that kind of person where you go, whoo, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not that follower of Jesus. But it inspires you to go, maybe I should be. And, and let's just be honest, when we see that type of person, Sometimes we look at them and we say, they're following Jesus so close, it seems like things are just a bit off in them. Can I just give us a little secret? I say this often, but when people who don't know Jesus have no relationship with church or God and they, and they look at what we're doing, they think we're a bit off. And they should, because we're a bit off. We're a bit off from following self and we're choosing to follow Jesus. And when you choose to follow Jesus, he sometimes leads you to do things, think differently, act differently, be differently. That when people who are just living by cultural norms and standards look at you, they go, something is different. Something's off. And that's okay. And so we want to talk about then how do we, how do we live in 
this context of unity in the midst of all this. So I want to look at this story in Acts 21. I'm going to read the whole chapter because I want you to get a picture of what's going on. And sometimes it's so funny. Sometimes when I think, oh, we're going to read, we're going to read a whole chapter, sometimes this little voice comes up, ooh, that's a lot to read. Well, the whole Bible is probably good for us to read. So reading a whole chapter on a Sunday morning should not affect any one of us at all, okay? Can I just go ahead and get us all through that? And so I hope you follow along. Now, I read out of the CSB version, Christian Standard Bible. If you have a different version, you may have different words or whatever. And then the words that I use will be up here on the screen as well. But we're going to read Acts 21. And we're looking at Paul. And we're looking at this in the context of unity. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. Look at all the things Paul does in Acts 21 that are just trying to bring about and maintain unity in the Christian faith with the believers. Verse 20, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight for Cuz, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre. The since the ship was to unload its cargo there, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit... They told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue on our journey. While all of them with their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, after kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemus, where we, were greeted, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who you'll remember from way back at the first of the year when we were at the first part of Acts, who was one of the seven, and, he, and we stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you'll remember, Paul had already said that he was going to Jerusalem compelled by the Spirit of God. And he said, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I know that there's going to be difficulty all along the way. He said that earlier about his journey. Now look what he says in verse 13. Then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. So there's your picture there. They're all fighting for Paul, just saying, hey, you really shouldn't do this. Paul going, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. It says in verse 15, after this, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple, with whom we were to stay. We reached Jerusalem. The brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, we're going to pause right there. Go back to Acts chapter 15. 
And you see this story of the Gentiles are coming to Christ, the Jews are coming to Christ, the Gentiles and the Jews don't live the same way. What are we supposed to do? And so James and the elders in Jerusalem got together. They debated this for quite some time, and they came to the decision that those who are not Jewish who are coming to Christ do not have to follow the Jewish customs to be a Christian. And so Paul's mission was to go out to all the churches and begin to share this. And that was decided by the elders in the church, and it was Paul's joy to be able to go out and share this with people, and that's what he had been doing. So he's now back, and he's reporting to them all that had happened through this decision. And then it says in verse 20, when they heard it, they glorified God and said, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there who, have, who are there who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But listen to this. But they have been informed about you. How about that? Would you like that when people have been informed about you? It's usually not good, is it? That you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. Now, is that what he was doing? No. It's not what he was doing, but that's what they said he was doing. Verse 22. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have made a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law, which he was. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we've written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. That's the things that they had written back in chapter 15. So Paul obliges, it says. Verse 26, so the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. Now, some of you are like, now nah, I'm lost. Okay? What Paul is doing is he's going through a purification rite that he didn't need to go through based on his own actions, but that he did based on the leading of the elders of the church to say, hey, there's people who, who think that you're out spreading these things that are against Judaism, and so you need to make a stand to show people that this is not what you're doing. So he did these things, prompted by the leaders of the church. The, the leaders of the church told him to do this, so he did it. Here's what it gets him, okay? When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia, where Paul had been, saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple, and he's defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, an Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all of Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd, were, he ordered him to be to the violence of the crowd, for the mass of people followed yelling, get 
rid of him. Sounds like a glorious reception there in Jerusalem, right? So I read all that to give you the big picture. Paul was prompted by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He knew. The Spirit had already told him. He has no idea what he's facing, but he knows he's going to face trouble in Jerusalem. Everywhere he goes along the way to Jerusalem, he has people saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. There's going to be trouble in Jerusalem. Paul finally looks at them and says, look, I have to go to Jerusalem. The, the Spirit's told me, so we're not going to talk about this anymore. So his friends and those who care about him backed off and said, the Lord's will be done. And so they, they let him go. He gets to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he shares all the things that God's been doing through his mission with the leaders of the church, the Jerusalem Council again, if you will. They are wonderful with this, but they say, hey, people have been spreading rumors about you, so you need to make a stand to make sure that people understand that you're not this way. So he obeys the leaders of the church. He does what he's been asked to do, and yet he still runs into these difficulties. There's where I think we need to talk. Sometimes we follow Jesus we do everything right. We do everything we're asked to do. And yet, we still take a beating sometimes. But it's still worth it. It's still worth it. And you see this in Paul's life. It, he, he is still, knowing what he's going to face, knowing what's going to happen, he's still saying it's worth it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ wherever he tells me to go. And like I said earlier, these are the kind of people who scare us as believers. These are the kind of people who make us think, well, what does it cost me to follow God? Because I'm, I'm okay with following Jesus as long as it doesn't really cost me anything. As long as it helps me, I'm good. But when it starts costing me, now I'm not so sure I'm good with following Jesus. But something had happened in Paul where he was convinced that this was the right thing to do. And following God and giving his everything was nothing to him. And so you see all along the way, everywhere he went, he's looking to encourage the believers in Christ. He's looking to gather the disciples together. He's wanting to pray with them. He's wanting to encourage them. Everything he does is trying to bring about unity. But even in the midst of trying to bring about unity, he divides the whole thing, right? And so we see how this is just constantly going back and forth. But he was constantly encouraging, constantly teaching. And most of all, he was constantly following Jesus. I want us to look at the path to unity because unity is something that is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly important in our lives. You know, when you feel like you're divided with other people, when you feel like we're split apart, we don't feel very strong. We don't feel very secure. We don't feel very safe. But when we know that we have unity, when, when we're together and we're working on something that, that's meaningful and that's purposeful and that others are in this mission with us, then we're willing to face a little bit more, go through a little bit more, deal with a little bit more in life. You know, oftentimes we face difficulties in life and we just want to give up and we want to quit because we feel like we're what? All alone, right? But when you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm not all alone in this. I'm, I'm doing this for a purpose or a reason. Then we, have to have, then we tend to have a little bit more energy and a little bit more oomph to be able to get us through life. And can you just follow me here for just a second? Some of you need a little bit more energy, a little bit more oomph to get through life. Because some of you feel like you're all alone right now. Some of you feel like you're the only one facing the stuff that you're facing. Some of you feel like that what you're doing might not be worth it and you're ready to just quit and give up. But let me just tell you, you're not alone. But unity, it, it costs something to get there. But it's worth it if you get there. 
So let's look at what it means to, to be unified. What is the path to unity? The first, the first thing in the path to unity for believers in Christ is this. We need to realize that everyone has a purpose in the kingdom. Everyone has a purpose in the kingdom. Now, this is a little thing that we read in this whole chapter, but it was interesting that they pointed it out. And they pointed it out for a reason. Verse 8 said this, The next day we left came to Caesarea where we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. This is the one who went from Jerusalem after Stephen had been stoned. He went south to Samaria. He started a whole big revival in Samaria, the place where nobody thought a revival would ever break out. And then the next we hear from him, he's traveling the coastline. Here he is now in Acts 21. And it says, we stayed at his house. Verse 9 says, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. That means he had four daughters, young daughters, probably under the age of 16, who were at the church who were sharing and prophesying and teaching the word of God. In a culture where women were not highly regarded, we get pointed out that, by the way, Philip had four teenage daughters who taught in the church. How about that? So the first thing that we need to understand in unity is that when, when we talk about Christian unity and you hear some false things out there, or we live in a world right now where it's, you know, everybody on this side versus everybody on this side, and everybody on this side says negative things about this side, and everybody on this side says negative things about this side. Some things get lost. Here's what you need to know, that at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. Paul writes it this way in Galatians 3, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Or maybe a different way to say it is you are all unified in Christ Jesus. Everyone has a purpose in the kingdom. That means you. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that I actually have a place where I fit in. I have something where I belong to. You have a place in this kingdom. Your color of skin, your income, your gender, your any, none of that matters. None of that matters. You have a place in the kingdom if you will follow Jesus Christ. Now, here's the other side that some of us need to hear. That also means that person that you don't think has a place in the kingdom, guess what? They do. And so whatever your biases or difficulties or struggles may be, they have a place as well in the kingdom. And so the path to unity begins by understanding that everyone has a place in the kingdom. Paul realized that the Jews who took him outside the temple and were beating him to death had a place in the kingdom. And he risked his life over and over and over and over to share the message of hope with them so that they could know, even when they continued to cause him difficulty everywhere he went. How about that? We see the pattern, if you've been following us in this sermon series, that what Paul did in every city, the first place he went, does anybody know? Synagogue, synagogue. I'm scared to yell it out. Synagogue, yell it out. Synagogue. We can say that this morning. We can be loud in here. It's a gym, okay? We're not in the sanctuary yet. It's a gym. You can act like we're in a gym, okay? Synagogue. He went to the synagogue first. Why? Because he went to the Jews first every time, even though he was sharing the message with who? The Gentiles. But out of respect, he went there first every time. You see, Paul understood that unity 
is key. And he realized that everyone had a purpose in the kingdom. That's the first thing, the path for unity, that when you look out among this crowd and when you walk out of here today and you see people, when you begin to see them and realize that that person has potential and has a place in the kingdom of God that maybe they haven't realized yet, then I'm going to be more motivated to love them and to share the, the path to Jesus Christ with them. But if I just see them as someone who disagrees with me, who makes life difficulty and an inconvenience for me, then I am avoiding them. So the path to unity begins with understanding that everyone has a purpose in the kingdom. The next thing for the path to unity, and this is probably the most difficult one, and that's this. God's will is always greater than friends' advice. Whoopsie. God's will is greater than friends' advice. Now, we saw this, Acts 21, 14. They finally came to a point saying, since Paul would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. We knew that Paul was prompted by the Spirit of God to go. And we knew all along the way that friends, friends, close people to Paul kept saying, oh, don't do that, don't do that. Can I just tell you, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes God leads us to do things and to follow him in such a way that there are people around us who go, I don't get that at all. Why would you make that decision? Why would you do that? But you are confident in your spirit that God is leading you to do something, to talk to someone, to give something, to be some way, whatever. And, and there's times like that when the people don't understand it that, that we're going to look at one another and go, I don't know that that's right because we don't know any other way to respond. I want your life to be comfortable. I want you to be happy. I want you to, be, I want you to feel freedom. I don't want you to get beat. I don't want you to have difficulty. So just don't go. Friends may want you to be comfortable, but God wants your life to have meaning and purpose. And sometimes, as we've said, comfort and purpose don't always go together. People sacrifice all the time for things that they want. It doesn't even have to be a Christian thing. Look at Olympic athletes. You look at moms, okay, anything else. Olympic athletes, moms, they're kind of the same thing, okay. They sacrifice for things that they love, and it makes no sense to anybody else, but they do it anyway. I spend my blow money on me. Julie spends her blow money on the kids. I'm like, it's your blow money. You know, take, but they give it all the time. It makes no sense to me. But when something's worth it, you just give it all away. I came across this Wednesday in my quiet time in the morning. I'm reading through a couple of devotionals because it makes me sound spiritual to say that. Um, but I am reading through. I, I always have Oswald Chambers Utmost forest highs. It's kind of the always there. And then I'm always reading something else because it just, you just can't get enough. But here's what Oswald Chambers said. And I just went, yeah, this is good. He said, the first thing God does with us is get us based on rugged reality until we do not care what becomes of us individually as long as he gets his way for the purpose of his redemption. Why Shouldn't we go through heartbreaks? Through these doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with his son. Most of us fall and collapse at the first grip of pain. We sit down on the threshold of God's purpose and die away of self-pity. And all so-called Christian sympathy will aid us to our deathbed. Thanks, Oswald. But God will not. He comes with the grip of the pierced hand of his son and says, enter into fellowship with me. 
arise and shine. If through a broken heart God can bring his purposes to pass in the world, then thank him for breaking your heart. God's will is always greater than friend's advice because he wants you to have true life. He doesn't just want you to be forgiven of your sins and one day die and go to heaven. He wants you to experience life at its fullest. And do you know what? I've understood the older I get in life, I can't understand the fullness of life without understanding the deepest depths along with the highest highs. And following Christ means that we have someone who will go with us through whatever stage and age of life that we're in. And that makes it worth following him. That no matter what I'm going to face, I don't have to avoid it or go around it. I can just go right through it with God leading me the way. And so God's will is always greater than friend's advice. Not that friend's advice is worthless. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God's will always gets the trump card in that. And then the last thing is this. Love others with actions, not just words. Is that not what Paul is doing? Everywhere he went, it's not what he said. It's what he did. And so we see him go into Jerusalem and the elders and the leaders of the church say, hey, we need to do this. And instead of, instead of rising up and saying, why should I have to do that? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not going to do these things. Why do I need to have this in my life? Paul goes, all right. If you think it will help unify things, I'm good. Man, to have a church full of those people, would that not be awesome? To have a business full of those people, would that not be awesome? To have a home full of those people, amen, all right? Just, hey, if you think that's what it takes and you're the one in charge, let's just, let's just get it done. Listen to how Paul writes about this to, first, to the church in Corinth. He says this, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. That's what he did. He submitted to the authority, he submitted to the law to be an example. He didn't have to. And, and even more so, the things that he was accused of were all false. But Paul did it anyway because he realized there's something more important than just me getting my rights or my way. There's some value in following Jesus and striving for unity with those that I come in contact with. And as far as it depends on me, what Paul says, I'll do whatever I can to live at peace with them. Whatever I can. If they need it, fine. I will, I will submit myself to their authority if it helps further the kingdom of God and it helps us get this message out. That doesn't mean he was a doormat. You can read this book and understand that Paul's not a doormat. And he never did anything that was against God's law or God's will or that would be a sinful thing to do. He just always went, there are some things that we get all hung up about that we don't need to get hung up about, so I'm just not going to get hung up about them. And so Paul lived in that way. Why would he do that? I'm going to close with this thought. There's tremendous joy in helping others on the journey. There's tremendous joy in helping others on this journey. What journey are you talking about? I'm talking about life. There's just tremendous joy that we get 
when we pour ourselves into other people, when we do what we can to remain unified and to draw people close to us instead of constantly pushing people away from us. And that's exactly what Jesus' invitation is to us all when he says, follow me. He's inviting you to follow him on this journey of life. He's not promising that things won't be difficult along the way. He's promising that everything that you face will be worth it as long as you follow him in it. And that's the example that we see from Paul. And let me just say this one more time. And when we look at that, sometimes it it scares us a little bit. And let's just be honest, it scares me a little bit to go, man, what, what if God calls me to, and that's what we wrestle with, right? But let me just go ahead and answer that question with, what if God calls me to, it's going to be awesome, if you will follow him. 